Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding family businesses and the advisors who assist them. Good afternoon, listeners. This is Anthony Chen, your host with Family Business Radio. Uh, starting off the new year in January 2020, we have a special episode today centered around family businesses of, in the brewing industry. So we have some power hitters today. Uh, we have Nick and Alisa Tanner with Cherry Street Brewing. We have Charles Gridley with Six Bridges Brewing. And then we have a banker, Jason Sleeman from CIBC. So to start off, let's welcome Jason. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Great. Wonderful. So kind of digging, jumping right into it. What got you into banking and really specializing in this niche field of local breweries? So I had been in banking for about five or six years before I got my first opportunity to do a brewery. Mm -hmm. Uh, Georgia's laws had been a little bit uh, behind the time. It would be the best way to describe it. And so there Mm -hmm. weren't a lot of breweries uh, until they started bursting on the scene about 2017, 2018, 2019. You're really starting to see those breweries come in. Mm -hmm. So it was a desire to find a fun industry to work with uh, and also help grow an industry because Georgia had been really, really behind on developing great talent, developing great beer and money was the issue uh, to get those things off the ground. So I was able to find uh, a brewery that would kind of let me learn with them and uh, we learned together. And so the very first one was a little bit bumpy, uh, but it was a good opportunity to uh, figure out what would work and wouldn't work. And over the last three years, I've been able to refine what has worked and how to help uh, startup breweries and expanding breweries in the state of Georgia and surrounding uh, states to to really get the financing they need to to bring these dreams to life. So, kind of going into the process, what, what is what could be an expectation of a someone who's looking to go into the business or someone who already has an established business to look for more financing? Yeah. So, if you're uh, looking for it for the first time, the expectation is it's going to take five times longer than you actually thought it should take. Uh, you you think that it's going to take this really condensed time, mm-hmm. uh, but there's a lot of nuances in lending to a brewery. Uh, and some of that is even, does your beer taste good? Uh, that, that's one yeah. of the things that uh, is important too. So uh, there's a lot of testing out the recipes. There's a lot of trying to figure out if this will work, but on the, on the raising capital side, some of the expectations are how do you put uh, funds that your business can gather, whether that's investors or partners, uh, and marry that to uh, bank debt? How, how do you put the two pieces together? Because uh, unlike a home mortgage, there is no 100% financing for a business. So you've got to have something you're going to inject into it. And uh, finding that uh, is, at the very beginning, it was really sexy to invest in a brewery. Everyone wanted to throw money at breweries. And as they've realized these are become businesses and uh, they are not uh, – you know, the, the joy of saying I, I own a very small part of a brewery has become less. Mm-hmm. It really has become people investing in them because of financial decisions. So you need someone that has both the capability to brew good beer, but also the capability to uh, run a P&L and understand a balance sheet and make sure that they're returning a profit to their investors. Well, that, that kind of brings up a question on my mind. So you mentioned about does the beer taste good? So here's a kind of a curveball question. Does the underwriter actually have a beer taster on staff? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's usually me. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. So you got a perfect position. A, a, little, a, little, <laughs> a little bit of an um, of, of uh, added bonus to being the, the guy on the front line. So uh, one of the things that's really important in the brewing industry is to shake the hand of the people who are going to be brewing the beer. Uh, most of them – 
uh, have done it uh, at least as a hobby for a while. And so they have product that you can taste. It may not be the official product that's going to go out uh, later on in life, yeah. uh, but you have something they can, they can take a lot of the path now is for them to start going to festivals pretty early on. So they will find an established brewery. They will have some of their product contract brewed uh, once they get some of their uh, initial licenses and then you can test the market. And, and so there is some data for both the brewer and the bank to say, is this a viable business? Can, can, this be financed or are they putting out really terrible tasting stuff and they need to go back to the drawing board before they get real money. Mm. So from the sounds of that, from someone that's completely new wanting to kind of dabble their toe in it, it sounds like you outlined a little bit of the steps that need to take, meaning kind of a market test. Would that be an advice that you would help guide someone that is completely new? So if someone wanted to start a brewery, one of my pieces of advice for them is to go find a great brewery. Find someone that's already doing it and start by sweeping their floors, right? That's that's the first step to getting your financing is sweep up uh, floors and start raking out uh, grain out of out of the uh, equipment and start sanitizing. Because uh, I'm sure you'll hear later that um, even as a banker, I learned that brewing is 97% clean, cleaning and 3% actually brewing beer. So they, they need people to clean stuff, and that's probably the best way to get in. And then after you've established that and learned on someone else's system, uh, have gotten a little test, getting some of your beer into the market's a really good place to go. And then if you still like it after you realize that all you are is a glorified cleaner, uh, then maybe starting a brewery is a place for you to go. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Did not know about that. <laughs> so, so what is kind of the, the difference between a brewery and a brew pub and how does kind of the banks treat them differently if they do? Yeah. So the, the banks do look at them differently. Now, uh, the law, the SB 85 law that was passed in Georgia that uh, gave uh, some of the distinction uh, erased uh, with SB 85. So what used to happen was a brewery could brew the beer on site and they would send it out through distribution. So they didn't serve food at a brewery. And uh, prior to uh, the SBA five passage, they had to give away the beer. So if you were at the brewery, you were not paying for a beer, you were getting free beer and paying for a, and I'm using air quotes tour. Uh, (laughs) The opposite side of that was the brew pub and the brew pub. Most people would think as a restaurant, that's the first thing that they think of. It's a restaurant that brews, brews its own beer. And so there was a 50-50 food component to that. And so they had to sell a lot of food to make up for the amount of beer that they had. Uh, Post-SB85, some of that has blended together. So now breweries can sell you a beer directly across their counter. Mm-hmm. And they can also serve uh, – they can have a small kitchen and serve some of the food. So you know, you, you would look at some of the breweries that are out there now, and they look like they have a full kitchen. Mm-hmm. And you have, look at some of the brew pubs, and they've got a distribution model. And so there, there is a little bit of a blending of the two – but banks do treat them differently because of the fact that the regulators treat them slightly differently. We think of a brewery as a manufacturing facility, and a lot of their their money is made up out in the market. So you see their cans on the shelves. You see their cans uh, at bars and restaurants around. Where a brew pub, you're really going to take that trip to go to that brewer, that brew pub and eat their food because they've paired it with their uh, – their beer. And so we look at those more as restaurants from that capacity. So there is, there is a little bit of, is it a manufacturer or is it a restaurant? And there is a little bit of a blending line, uh, but there's definitely a difference in how we uh, underwrite the two. And we, the restaurants fail a lot more often than manufacturers fail. And so you have to say that consideration when you're looking at a brew pub. So when taking into that, because there are those two kind of opportunities for someone that's again, new starting in, would it be much better just sticking with a brewery in terms of from the sounds of it, a little less risk or, or should they just kind of dabble 
a little in, into the brew. Uh, yes. So my, my answer to them is, do they want to serve food, right? Do, okay. do you want to hire a lot of staff and wait staff and have the headache of managing a lot of people? Because the staffing model is very differently for a brewery and a brew pub. And we look at it differently from a banking perspective. How, how, how many people are you going to have? Are you worried about, uh, you know, uh, having a big staff of uh, restaurant servers, or are you just going to have a couple people manufacturing your beer and then one or two bartenders coming in uh, at the evenings to, to manage that? And so there's a cost difference. There's a lot of issues. And so, you know, I, I would tell you, uh, and I think probably Nick, and Elisa will probably say uh, more on this, but the biggest part is how much food do you want to serve? If you if you don't want to if you don't want to be a restaurant, then be a brewery. If you want to be a restaurant and you really like the food aspect of, and you've got someone who's creative and, and wants to be a chef, uh, then the bank would definitely support you on starting a brew pub. Okay. And what is kind of the different and unique challenges when trying to get obtaining financing? Yeah. And so when, when you look at obtaining financing, uh, there's a couple of different steps. And so uh, if most of the startups are going to go through the small business administration, so the SBA. And so there are a lot of challenges with that. There are challenges of, did you raise enough capital to put your part in? So the bank's going to finance, you know, somewhere between, uh, I'm going to use a really big broad stroke here, but they're going to finance somewhere between 70 and 90% of your project. Uh, and so you're going to have to come up between 10 and 30% of the other half of it. So if you're talking about a million dollar project, mm-hmm. which uh, these are very heavy equipment intensive businesses. And so they get really expensive, really, really quick. So you, there, there aren't very many hundred thousand dollar brew pubs out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when you look at that, they get expensive. So you've got to be able to raise capital. How do you, how do you raise capital? Mm-hmm. Have you kept your credit in good standing? Cause sometimes you get someone who's very creative and they forget that they need to pay their bills. And so they, they look at it and say, Hey, I'm, I'm really good at my craft, mm-hmm. uh, but I have bad credit or I don't have any credit or uh, I don't have any cash of my own. And, uh, you know, as, as you look at that, there is the collateral standpoint, there's the cash flow standpoint, and then there's just the, uh, you know, going back to the five C's of credit, right? But it's, it's how, how does that person have the capacity, the collateral, um, and, and the cash flow to really do this? And can they make a business of it or is it just a hobby? Mm-hmm. So, what advice would you have for someone that's got this idea and they have maybe some prototypes and want to go into the brewery business? And what's the first step for them to even think and consider obtaining financing? Yeah. So a business plan is going to be really important for them. So as you, as you build this together, there's a couple of things that you have to do. You have to see if you can rally around enough cash to, to, to do this. And if you do that, can you, actually put a plan together that, that, uh, will make sense because a, a bank is going to look at, uh, how likely are you to succeed? And, and one of the things that we look at is, especially when you're creating a brewery is that you would expect to make negative income for the first 12 months that you're in business, right? Because mm-hmm. you're having to build a brewery, you're having to put the equipment in, and then you've got all these expenses before you sell anything. And so do you have the capability to weather the storm yourself personally, right? A lot of people think I'm going to start this new business and my 150,000 or $200,000 salary will start on day one. And, uh, in the brewing industry, uh, maybe 50 years later, they make a hundred thousand dollars. It's a, it's a good way to, uh, to love something. And so you have to be able to say, how do I really have a passion for something? And can I rally enough people around that have that same dream for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, and can we put the, these two pieces together to, convince a bank uh, with a business plan and the cash in our hands that they should invest, you know, 70 to 90% of a project uh, to invest in our dreams. So you would say based on just that story alone, you, this is definitely a 
beyond just a pure hobby, but more absolute passion. Like they live, sleep, and breathe. So I'll give you a good story of one of uh, the the breweries that I worked with. Uh, the owner had a cooler uh, when they were building it. The cooler had a issue on it. And uh, they had gotten some things into the cooler pretty early on. It was some ingredients. And he slept on top of his cooler throughout the night to keep resetting. The The breaker was tripping. And oh. so he slept on the cooler and every about 15 minutes woke up to reset the breaker. So he made sure that he didn't lose the ingredients inside. So uh, brewers uh, are past passionate. Uh, they they believe that it's definitely something that they are, are creating art. And I, I think that's definitely true. Um, there's a lot of really, really good beer out there that is art. Uh, and those are the guys that are willing to work really, really hard to make things happen. So kind of before we move into our next guest, what, what is kind of the unique and different, uh, I would say, challenges or opportunities when you were working in financing Nixon and Alyssa's? Yeah. So when we were when we were working on Cherry Street Halcyon, uh, it, one, it was a, a, a really, really fun project to work on. It, you get, as a banker, get emotionally attached to them. Uh, the biggest thing that you that I saw differently was when they showed up. Uh, they had been born into the family business. Their dad was a restaurateur before. Nick had gone off and gotten an education on how to be a brewer. So he, you were talking earlier about being a hobby. Nick has an education that says, here's here's how we do this. And, and he had gone and taken the hard knocks of uh, probably sleeping on top of a cooler himself at some point in time uh, and, and really doing that. Elisa has a hospitality background and how does she be able to do that? So th- it was a, a perfect uh, partnership of uh, operational front of the house and, and being able to put that uh uh, experience together because of that. And they had been raised in the family business. They already had raving local fans. There were people that really, really believed in their business. And so that when they went out to go raise capital themselves, there were people kind of throwing money at them that said, how much do you need? We, we want to be a part of this. And so it, when, when they were able to have people believe in them and you know, as a banker that the community support is there for the project, mm-hmm. you're really, really excited to get this project off the ground because they came up with the things they've got the experience, they've got the cash and they've got the customers, right? If the people who are investing in their business or the community, it also means that the customers are going to be the community too, and they're going to continue to service them. So when you looked at it, it was kind of a perfect storm of all the pieces coming together. And it was because they, they had really been born to create this brew pub and, uh, you know, be successful in, in what they were doing. Mm. So coming from the outside in, if it was a purely analytic person, you guys definitely take it in more of a finesse approach of looking at the qualitative aspect than just all the numbers. So this is where I don't think computers are going to replace bankers anytime soon, right? If you take things purely from a numbers perspective, uh, I don't, I don't know, you know, if you take it blind and you took five or six different breweries, you probably would only fund one of those breweries. But really what you're looking for is, can they tell a story? How, how does the individual tell the story that goes along with the numbers? And if you can tell a story, people are still about the story. And if you can tell the story, if you can tell the family history, if you can tell why someone wants to do something, then that tells me shaking their hands and looking in their eyes tells me a lot more about the success than their business plan and the financials that they put in the page. Oh, wonderful. So how does someone who wants to start their dream get to find you, Jason? Yeah. So one of the places I can be found is on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty easy. I'm Jason Sleeman on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also call me on my cell phone, which is 404-353-0093. Or my email is jason.sleeman at cibc.com. Uh, might want to spell out your last name. Yep, it's yeah. like sleep man, but no P. So S L E E M A N. Well, thank you, Jason. Thank you. All right. Well, moving right to our next guest, Nick and Elisa Tanner.
with Cherry Street Brewing. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Oh, thank you for coming. Uh, this, this is a very unique uh, episode all revolving around brewers. So we kind of get a little glimpse of how you guys got started in. So growing up, what, what is it like growing in, in the household where your dad is just running a restaurant or a food business? It was a very, growing up, we would see a lot of our father and then we wouldn't see him for periods of time. And then we'd see a lot of him and mm-hmm. he, uh, he had big, big, he has big visions and big dreams. And we watched him build over 20 restaurants under his name, uh, in, in the greater Atlanta and Georgia uh, area. And so when I was growing up, I would travel with him to different restaurant sites and get to see construction and get to see all the the from the ground up mm-hmm. and he would do renovations and from brand new build outs from the dirt. And it was just a really fun opportunity. Um, he was uh, dedicated, extremely dedicated to his dream of having a chain of restaurants through, um, through Georgia with the, the product that he loved the most rotisserie chicken. And um, so rotisserie chicken has taken my sister and I pretty far in our lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So how was it like for you, Elisa, on your perspective? Well, I had a little different perspective than Nick did. Dad wasn't taking me around to construction sites or to um, new business construction. For me, my favorite part was when dad was able to come home at night and I would be able to sleep on his belly and he would tell me all about his day and how hard and how much he enjoyed his work. And from that, we you know built a great relationship together and I learned a lot more about why he's doing what he's doing and the challenges he experiences, but what the positive of those challenges were every day. And then uh, once I got a little bit older, I started hosting in the restaurant and that work ethic that I was instilled in me when I was eight years old is something that I can never replace. And I'm very fortunate for my dad having, you know, the background and bringing me in. Um, Then I started dishwashing. And kind of learned from the ground up. And I'm just very blessed to have had those experiences to get me to where I am today. Yes. So as you kind of going through this transition, was it always in the back of your mind that, yes, I'm going to go into this business like my dad? Or was it, did you ever feel any pressure or any other sorts? I think I can speak for both of us that when we both graduated high school and went to college, we did not think we were going to be in the restaurant business or in the family restaurant business. We both had different ideas and agendas and, and whatnot. And it was actually brewing beer that brought me back to my dad and which is, which is really cool. And when I was in college and I learned how to homebrew beer and fell in love with brewing beer and I, I just turned 21 years old and this brew pub in Fort Collins, Colorado had closed uh, due to some uh, ordinance violations and such. I called my dad and I said, Hey, uh, can you take a look at this? And is this something that may interest us? And that particular project fell through, but it gave uh, our father and I, myself, a, a goal that him and I would open a brewery brew pub together. Mm -hmm. And then we worked really hard over the years. And I moved back to uh, North Atlanta uh, uh, from North Colorado and, and all that to, to pursue this opportunity and so, um, no, it was originally, I didn't think I was going to be in the restaurant business, but we're, we're good at it and we're, we're, we're good. We're, yep. we, we know, we know people it's all about, it's all about people. And I love interacting and socializing with people and customers and hospitality. 
And uh, I know when uh, my sister Elisa went off to college, I mean, she wanted to go a totally different route. And she said the same thing. We're good at this. And this is what we know. And why would we, why would we stray from this? Yep. For me, it, I knew I wasn't, I knew I always wanted to work with people. And for me, when I realized that I was going to continue with the restaurants and with the family and with dad was actually when I got more on the management side and I was able to connect with the guests on a different level and also with the employees. And my biggest passion and where I found myself is seeing my employees grow and knowing that I've been able to be a part of that and help them find what makes them happy and help them find that joy and coming to work and knowing that they're a part of something. And then kind of to segue with that was when my brother came back and to see his passion for the beer and his talent, I knew that's where I needed to be. And it was just really amazing opportunity now for us to grow together. So as you're coming back and setting it, charting this course of the dream, setting your own brewery, what kind of came up with the name of Cherry Street? It all started where I lived in Fort Collins, Colorado. Colorado has, uh, to, to Jason's point earlier, much different, uh, drastically different laws than Georgia. And one of the easiest, simplest laws in Colorado is that you cannot professionally brew in a dwelling, which means you can't open a brewery in your house. Oh. So you can have a detached garage and turn that into a legal producing brewery. Could you and, imagine? <laughs> and so I lived with a... Um, I lived with a New Belgium Brewing from Fort Collins, Colorado. I lived with their family. And when I moved into a different house, we had a big detached garage on the property and it became a clubhouse. We brewed, we brewed beer in there every weekend. Uh, it was a way to get young generation of college, college kids together to brew beer. At the time, I spent all my money on homebrewing equipment. And so we all shared equipment and it was all about furthering the, the product, the brewing better beer for each other, with each other. And so um, that was on Cherry Street in downtown Fort Collins. Wow. And when I moved back home, it was the discussion of my friends and our whole uh, club that we created that um, this would be what, what I would take further with me. Uh, it was, it was in, the other point earlier is brewing is more than just a hobby. And my point is it's an obsession and, uh, it, Cherry street became my life and I just, I, I loved it. I lived and breathed it every day. So kind of going into a more of a personal, uh, turn is with family businesses, how are you able to kind of navigate loving your family, but also sometimes keeping business with business? Well, I'd say it definitely has its pros and cons. Um, I think the hardest part about that is when we, the few times that we do get together on a personal level is we always tend to talk business or naturally it just happens. So we've kind of come up with a code word or time where we just say, stop, not talking, not talking business at all. Mm -hmm. And those are my favorite times. Uh, You know, Christmas this past year, we were able to hang out for hours and business came up at the beginning and then we let it go and we had a great time. But Working together as family outweighs the cons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we respect each other. We are there for each other more, you know, than just a business partner, business partner, or boss, or not. Uh, you know, and we we know that, and we want to help and grow each other in the best way possible, and be the support for each other as much as possible. So, it, you know, 
I take it over anything else any day. The, simply put, I feel like we are able to challenge each other better. Yep. Um, it, we, we are able to push each other in ways that I don't think a business partner two business partners would be able to challenge each other. And I think we've grown so far on in that realm that we can, we can be a little stubborn at times, but that just goes along with it. And that's what pushes us more. The stubbornness is because of passion and because of being, believing in it so much um, that sometimes you only see things one way, but there's, there's multiple ways to skin the cat. So you have to, it's always nice to have somebody say, to, to really beat on you and say, no, like there's other ways to look at this. And so we it, we're able to challenge each other in a way better. I feel. Mm-hmm. Well, and Jason nailed it earlier. You know, we both have opposite strengths and weaknesses that together we're a, a power duo. I say we are a true yin and yang, her and I. Yep. <laughs> All right. So what is motivated or inspired to come into expanding Forsyth County? Forsyth became home to us. I, I, I kind of make a joke that I moved from Colorado to suburban Atlanta to to start this uh, b- business and career. But um, when I moved to Forsyth, it felt like Colorado. Actually, it was a very it's a very progressive community. Everybody's like ahead of the curve. Everybody's willing to or wanting to like do better and and be better. And I was, I really like that about Forsyth County. And so I, I always thought that after our first location that we've now been in business for seven years in Forsyth, I always thought Cherry Street would have moved closer to the big city, Atlanta. But it, it, when we had this opportunity to stay within the county, it felt it, it was home. Like Forsyth is home to us. And we, we know it so well. The community believes in us. We give back to the community. We do so much charity work in the community that just we it, it was perfect for us. We didn't need to go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. So, also a bit more of a question for you is how, how's it like being a woman in a very male dominated uh, industry? Well, we uh, as a business are very unique. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of females that work within our company, and uh, for my brother, he's got a lot of <laughs> females around him all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so honestly, I'd say, you know, I'm very blessed and that we don't have this pressure of having to live up to anything um, with having the females in the business. We all push each other positive. There's no drama. We all want each other to succeed. We all want success for each other. And it's very, very unique for us as a company that we are able to be successful and empower women in the business. And for me, that's that's very important. So it's brewing business, not just a guy thing anymore. No, nope, not anymore. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. <laughs> so, so what's the most enjoyable part uh, about running a brew pub? The most enjoyable part is interaction with customers. Uh, it's, it's a matter of being able to create a product that you're proud of, share it with people and have that excitement and that joy. Uh, that, that, it, that's really what it is. Be, there is nothing better than being able to just have somebody that that satisfaction of somebody being uh, happy. I mean, and just being able to make somebody happy that there's nothing better. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I touched on mine earlier, but for me, it's more on the internal side of being able to be a part of 
you know, my, one of my employees and see them grow and for them to feel that they found their place. And in this day and age, it's really hard to have job satisfaction or to know what path you want to go in or how you can grow within a business. And we've been very unique that we've had employees with us for seven plus years now and to see them grow within us and to know that they're happy and that we're there for them. They're there for us. And it's a, it's really unique to know that, you know, they scratch our back, we scratch their back and we're there for each other a hundred percent throughout the way. And so for me, it's really just, I love being able to see my employees grow and be happy. Um, but also, you know, the other side of that is exactly what Nick said is that job, that satisfaction for a guest to come in and, you know, they say, Oh, I don't like beer. I've never liked a beer before. I'm like, okay, okay, hold on, hold on. And so I start giving them taste and, you know, try this, try that. Um, this is something different. And for them to then leave and say, that's the best beer I've ever had. I never thought I'd like beer again. And now they're, they're coming in three days a week, two days a week. And it's because now it's sparked something in them that they want to try other beers and they want to kind of explore what else is out there. And it's not just males bringing in their wives anymore. It's, it's turned. <laughs> but I think the most, the, the most important thing is our father taught us. I didn't get it when I was young, but our father taught us that we're in the people development business. And what we do day in and day out is making our employees better people. So what would, before parting, what would be, I guess, some key insights you would like to drop on the business community as a family business? Something that you've learned. It's be, not easy. <laughs> be patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, patience. And and like I, I said it earlier, uh, just because you think there's only one way to do it, there's not. There's multiple ways to get to get something done. And um, just having the support, uh, family support goes is, is tremendous. And so we're able to be there for each other as well as push each other. So there's all sorts of, all sorts of aspects, emotional and just encourage. And so it's. Yep. With being patient is listening, it's really listening, take every ounce of advice, feedback, negative, positive, anything at all and listen and absorb. And how can someone find you guys and Cherry Street Brewing? We are located in the new Halcyon development off of exit 12 on 400. We are uh, at cherrystreetbrewing.com and our restaurant number uh, for that location is 770-696-4929. We um, just started selling beer to go in growlers this past weekend as well. So if you come up and enjoy a beer, you can now take it home with you. And uh, enjoy uh, something off of our uh, huge chef uh, menu that we we hired a chef for this location that has just done a phenomenal job. And we're really excited to grow with him as well. And I just want to throw in that we have started brunch as well. So Saturday, Sunday brunch from 10 a.m. to 2 Mm p.m. Great. Wonderful. Thank you, Elisa and Nick. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Our next obsession project, we have Charles Gridley with Six Bridges Brewing. Welcome, Charles. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank you for coming. So what is the inspiration for you to start into the brewing business? That's a very good question. And then I would say that mimicking is the uh, sincerest form of flattery. And so the uh, my son and myself and several family members would come to Cherry Street and admired the culture of 
interacting with the people. Mm-hmm. We would come more interested in talking with Nick or CT or any of the other staff there. And then the meal and the beer was secondary. So we look forward to that interaction and he would remember, you know, what we had last week or what we talked about last week. And you're always interested in them. So mm-hmm. we, we adopted that culture into our business as well. Mm-hmm. And so that was, they're a big inspiration for us. Wow. All right. So what, what is kind of the, the driving, uh, I guess, inspiration, not, not just from the visit, but also, well, okay, I want to set kind of my own dream with my son as well. Well, my son and I have been very close since the day he was born, and, and same thing with his brother. And we've just been together. We've done sports together. We go to sports events together. Uh, even though we're, as you say, you're yin and yang. He's left-handed, I'm right-handed. <laughs> He's creative, and I'm the, the regimented type of person. But we complement each other. So when you put them together, mm-hmm. it, it forms a complete package. And in uh, in my life, I was getting to the point where I was ready to retire take it easy. He was ready for a career change. And we always talked, Hey, it'd be fun to do a father son business. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so we were both home brewers for about 10 years. I was always trying to perfect one beer and he was the more creative and shotgun all the types and said, why don't we do this father son business thing? And said, okay. So we dared each other. Uh, we pushed each other and we could also accept each other's failings or shortcomings much easier since we were family, we're tight. Mm-hmm. Um, we start our morning with a hug and we end the day with a hug in between it's business. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, that will, is that generally the day to day family dynamics for the business? Uh, yes. It, it can say you sometimes think you're my dad or you're my son. And you said that, but, it mm-hmm. it needs to be when it comes to be business, you have to put the family off to the side, the emotional or those things and be, be the black and white, the numbers or the, mm-hmm. the functional part, you know, what does it take to make the business functional? Mm-hmm. So six bridges brewing, what inspired that name? We, uh, when we did our business plan and our search for a property, uh, we found Johns Creek to be neglecting. in having anything related to this type of an industry. Mm -hmm. And the business plan pointed out that it was going to be, it it should have been, it would be a very lucrative and very good location. Mm -hmm. It was also convenient, convenient uh, drive for where my son live and where I live. And so when we approached the city and presented our idea uh, halfway through the presentation, they said, stop, we want you. What can we do to help you? So, okay, our first request was give us a landmark or some historical connection so that we have that intimate tie with the city. And a week later, they came back with the name Six Bridges. It originally came from there are six roads in Johns Creek with the word bridge. Mm -hmm. So that begs anybody that comes in, name those six bridges, that trivia question. Oh, then when we connected with the Johns Creek Historical Society, they gave us a mural on one on our wall. And so you have a historical representation of where Johns Creek came from. And it actually shows the original six bridges that crossed the Chattahoochee River back in the days when, uh, after the Cherokee Nation moved out and the uh, settlers moved in, Mm -hmm. they created ferries because it was a very good place for commerce. And then those ferries became bridges. So you got a history lesson. Mm. 
Okay. So how was kind of going into this, your, your first year of experience in, in the business? Uh, well, we had worked initially started off working with Jason. And so we had those expectations of the financial expectations of, mm-hmm. uh, we also attended uh, the Georgia Brewers Guild. They had a seminar on if you want to become a brewer. Mm-hmm. And so we gained knowledge through that. Uh, we assembled an A-team of experts to help us, uh, the, the architect and the contractor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when we put the package together, it, it was very appealing with the business plan, our story, uh, the people that we were putting together. Uh, we came across two experienced brewers that were going to work with us. So it looked like a very uh, solid deal. You're in a place that is will economically support it. Uh, you've got a good team that will put it together. You don't just have Joe's plumber coming in doing all the piping and everything for you. Mm-hmm. And you, you have some good products. So that worked out really well for us. Mm-hmm. And any surprises coming down the line or new plans? Uh the surprises were that the very the first year goes very fast, and you're almost in a reactionary mode uh, as far as planning and anticipating type things. So the second year is uh, now we're putting our sights out further and being more proactive in our planning of here comes a particular season and you want to be ready for that, or here comes the events that you want to attend, uh, the festivals. Um, so we have a salesperson that's doing that forward looking thinking and helping us out. Now, as you're kind of going through this journey, what is the things that you're most proud or thankful for? First again to Nick and his family for the culture they gave us. Cause I like coming back on Saturday night as a customer and I just mingle with the crowd and I mm-hmm. do exactly what CT did for us as you go and you, in five minutes, you found some connection with every one of the customers and they remember you and they look for you. So I really enjoy that. Uh, we have a great staff that serves and I'd like to brag that of the comments that we get online, you know, mm-hmm. eight out of the 10 are about the staff. And I said, what about the beer? <laughs> <laughs> but you need that, you need that customer service. You can, everybody can make a great beer, mm-hmm. but you have to be able to, serve it well, make the customer feel warm and welcome. I've witnessed it several times where some of our regulars come in and before they get to the bar, the bartenders already poured their beer because they know what they're going to order first. And they love that. So um, again, it's the culture that we mimicked. We stole, borrowed, (laughs) but it works very well. Yes. So it sounds like it's not just the beer, it's the people. It's the people, yes. You want to welcome them. You don't want them waiting on to be served. Mm-hmm. Um, that interaction more than I'm giving you a beer and you're giving me money. Mm-hmm. You know, we get those relationships. It's your birthday or where where'd you go on vacation? Those kinds of things you want to share. And they ask the same questions of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hear some customers come in and say, hey, I'm going to go get some food from so-and-so. And they buy the meal for the staff. Wow. So there's that. Loving family connection. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. So what would be kind of your parting words of wisdom as others are maybe thinking of going into this journey as well, whether it just be brewery or just a family and, uh, or father and son business? From the family perspective, um, make sure that your relationship is solid. It, it will be pushed and pulled and tested. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't be afraid to do that with your family members. Mm-hmm. Uh, your, your bonds are strong. And so it's like a very strong rubber band. You can stretch it, pull it. 
and you can count on it mm-hmm. and make sure, you know, that you have those code words when it's stop, <laughs> you, you're, you've crossed that line. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as going into a, uh, like a brewery business, do your due diligence of being able to raise the initial capital. You're going to spend quite a bit of time running in the red. Uh, put your sights. Don't look at next week. Look at the future. Uh, in the case of like Nick says, brewing is, is a, it's a passion. It was a hobby of both my son and I, and we did it for a while and we enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So it felt natural to go into, let's do something that we enjoy doing mm-hmm. and we enjoy doing together. Wonderful. So how can best someone find you at Six Bridges Brewing? We are located in Johns Creek in the general intersection of uh, Medlock Bridge Road, which is Highway 141 and McGinnis Ferry. Mm-hmm. Our website is Six Bridges Brewing, and the six is spelled out. Our phone number is 470-545-4199. Thank you, Charles. Sure. So kind of going into our new section, uh, roundtable discussion with all of our brewers and our specialists. So Jason, kind of diving right into it then. So what is, you mentioned about these new recent changes in Georgia with the laws being a little bit more relaxing, allowing these microbreweries all popping up. What is the next field of opportunity you see coming down the line? I think we're already there. Uh, A lot of the guys are racing to second locations and third locations. So very early on, uh, it was not profitable to have the brewery. You were trying to get it out into distribution. Mm-hmm. And now with the fact that uh, the profit center is really within the uh, brewery itself and distribution is really kind of your big mobile billboard, mm-hmm. uh, that what you want to do is you want to have multiple locations. So, you know, SB 85 was passed to create breweries more like neighborhood locations where you say, Hey, I like six bridges cause I live in Johns Creek. And so that's the place that I go and have a beer. Mm-hmm. I like cherry street because I'm up in Vickery village. Uh, th- that's really what that law was set to do. And so what we should be seeing and what I think we are seeing is you're seeing locations of places where maybe you have something in Atlanta, but you also have something in Woodstock or you have something uh, on the South side of town. And so what you're doing is you're creating these brands that are synonymous with the neighborhood. And so it's not just the fact that uh, what they're doing is they're creating uh, those raving fans that we talked about earlier. Yes. So they're supporting the the family businesses around them. They really are becoming family businesses. The breweries are, are working hard to create a culture, develop the next generation of leaders within their organization. And, and they are really creating community around them. And so that's, that's what I think we will continue to see is we'll see second, third, fourth, fifth locations. And we're going to start to see these smaller scatterings of uh, breweries throughout the uh, markets uh, where you can go in, get your to go beer, like Nick was talking about mm-hmm. and uh, you know, have a beer and enjoy time with your friends on a bar stool. Mm-hmm. So with that opportunity of established breweries already looking to expand out beyond their starting location, where do you find the next, I guess, hotspot if there is one? That is, that is the million dollar question that you're going to ask. If <laughs> okay. I, if, if I, that's the big I, question mark yeah, in my head. Yeah. yeah. If I, if I knew that answer, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you, that I think that there are two challenges that, that come with this. One is finding the right spot. And so you, you would find somewhere, I think you're going to make sure that brands stay, you know, 
far enough apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'll use uh, Cherry Street as a good example. They are on two separate sides of 400. That's like being in Alabama and being in South Carolina, right? Just that dividing line of 400, <laughs> yep. uh, okay. two, two, two different client bases. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other part is, you know, how do they rally the community around them? Because from a banking standpoint, when you expand really, really quick, mm-hmm. uh, it there is some risk there, right? Because your first location hasn't stabilized and you're already moving on to the second one. So, you know, the, the advice there is to have good community support, have some dry powder of cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as you look at that second location and then you'll be able to start to kind of build that uh, brand in multiple locations. So I, I would tell you, if you were going to ask me, if I was to look at my crystal ball, I would say that it continues to stay outside of the uh, Atlanta proper. So outside of the perimeter is probably where we'll continue to see these in the suburban neighborhoods, because you have families that want to take their kids and they want to do that. And if you live in Forsyth, Driving to downtown Atlanta to have a couple beers is really not the way way to do it. It's it's going to be you know where the urban sprawl continues to go. That's where you're going to see the breweries. Okay, great, thank you. So, Elisa and Nick, what is kind of the opportunities you see in your field and in your brew pub? Do you have kind of aspirations to go beyond? We do. I, you know, we uh, we we distribute our product across the state of Georgia, and we we define ourselves as a distributing brew pub, which talked about earlier, Mm. you brew pubs weren't initially intended to be that type of business, but the laws have evolved on both breweries and brew pubs. So many years ago, the law allowed brew pubs to expand their distribution volume from 500 barrels of beer a year to 5,000 barrels of beer a year. And that allows brew pubs like us to distribute our product, which then raises the brand awareness across the state. And so we've, we've been able to sell our beer down to Savannah, to Athens, to Columbus, uh, North Georgia, Blue Ridge, everywhere that is then raised awareness about our brand and then drives people back to our place. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what the greatest thing is, is you, you get, get them familiar with your brand and then they come see you and get the best of what you have in house. And that's um, that's always the fun part is oh I had your beer here and we had to come up and see you and that's that's uh, that's the that's when you know you've done done well is you know like like Charles said like many people can brew beer but it's get taking that beer and relating it with somebody or connecting or sell, telling the story mm-hmm. and then getting them to act upon it so I we distribution is definitely something uh, we would like to see a little bit more of in our future. So it sounds like your beer kind of speaks for itself when people are finding you after drinking it, whether in Savannah or anywhere else. I, I guess you could say that. Uh-huh. <laughs> you don't have to be too much. We're, we're proud. <laughs> we're we are proud of what we do. Certainly, mm-hmm. great, great. So, Charles, what are this kind of the opportunities you see as you're going down this journey? Well, this is our second year that we are uh, in uh, operation. Uh, we took it took us six months to get into distribution mm-hmm. uh, as we signed on they were reorganizing and say you know spend the first six months getting your presence out there attend the festivals uh, do tastings uh, get the people interested at events mm-hmm. and then about the middle of last year we got into uh, statewide distribution so that's been very beneficial uh, the distributors worked with us to fine-tune um, our brand recognition on the labels our our logo is the, the the number six with a a bridge inside the circle, and so they were wanting to make sure that people focused on that, recognized the name mm-hmm. before they focused on the the product. Mm-hmm. So we fine tune that, and 
they're very happy with it. And now uh, distribution this year, we expect to uh, explode. Uh, we're getting into a number of different markets that we were not in earlier. Mm-hmm. And so we have that good relationship with our distributor. They're happy with what we are doing. Uh, they take them to the big uh, corporations and they are happy with what they see and, and taste and enjoy it. So there's a lot of promise there. So we're looking forward this year for very good distribution. Uh, we are looking on the horizon in the one to two year time frame of a second location mm-hmm. um, to get out there and reach out into the communities. Uh, again, you don't want to drive. There's very few families that want to drive 20, 30 miles to have a beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are kid and pet friendly. And so we enjoy it and people take advantage of that. And we'll look for those opportunities in other communities to bring that same type of culture to them. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So kind of circling back to you, Jason, then with, with all these opportunities abounds, are there any potential challenges that business owners, particularly in the food or brewery business that they should be aware of? So from a financial standpoint, oversaturation is going to be a big issue. Mm-hmm. Right? As you continue to see this and you look at this, it, it's already happening if you go to the store shelves. So one of the places that banks are really looking is <clears throat> what is that retail uh, model look like if you if you go into your local Kroger, your local Publix, mm-hmm. you you go. Uh, if you want to see the the dirty side of the brewing industry, that's where it is, right? It is every every single brand scratching, clawing, fighting for those you know seven inches of shelf space for you as a consumer to find it. And so as a uh, as a banker, really what I'm trying to understand is what does that model look like? So what what is the danger model of saying? you're going to be very heavy distribution or you're not going to be heavy enough distribution. So there's got to be a fine balance uh, when we look at how you're going to make money to actually be able to uh, say this is going to be successful because if you're too reliant on the market and uh, if you haven't created the brand like these two uh, companies have, you know, sending a, a keg down to Savannah with no one knowing who you are is a recipe for bad results, right? The restaurant doesn't like that. The distributor doesn't like that. And the brewery doesn't like it either. And the bank really hates it because you, you are, you're spending cash and not getting the return. And so, you know, understanding your brand and understanding how you're going to make money and not trying to force yourself into a, uh, a round hole when you're a square peg mm-hmm. is going to be really, really key to success. Wonderful. Thank you. So circling back to Nick and Elisa. So what are the, kind of the, the challenge you see coming down the line uh, as a brewer or brew pub? I think the hardest challenge that we have right now is the labor pool mm-hmm. and finding the right employees for the right jobs. And there are certain things you can't train. Uh, you can't train personality. You can't train <laughs> work ethic. You can't train, uh, you know, them walking in the door and having to smile on their face. Uh, so trying to find the right staff is always been a challenge and we've had to learn the culture and the internal culture and how can we retain employees. And that's just my biggest advice is when you have a good employee and they treat you right, you treat them right and they will respect you more and you'll get better work out of them. So it starts all from the culture and finding the right people to continue reflecting. Yep. Okay, great. And Charles, same question. I agree with her. The staff um, is uh, very important. Um, she and I think alike. You know, one of the first questions I ask when they get on is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Where do you want to go? Because mm-hmm. I don't want you being a bartender or a 
cellarman or a brewer forever. I want you to grow into something. So I'm always pushing them what they want to do. And my, I see my job is removing the roadblocks for them to become that and move on. Uh, we've hired within, we've hired one bartender to become our salesperson. She had uh, a background in marketing. And so we, we fulfilled her one of her early dreams and she just absolutely loves it. Mm-hmm. And so we have other people that are anxious. They see that, Oh, you promote from within, you don't hire you know immediately <laughs> outside. So that excitement is there and they're always saying, you know, when can I be that? Mm-hmm. And we had another uh, young lady that was a bartender and she wanted to become a brewer. So we put their, her back there with, with the boys <laughs> and she made a couple of batches of beer that were very popular. And oh. at the same time, she was also doing our artwork. So she had multiple avenues to that could be fulfilled. And so uh, that's key is to find out what, their passion is what they're good at and then exploit it Mm -hmm. for their benefit. Yes. So kind of the general theme, it's not just for brewery here and conducting a culture, but really investing in your people. And it's not just family by bloodline, but family because they're with you goes kind of surpasses that. Right. Very blessed for our Terry street family. Well, thank you. But customers become family too. And that's what the strongest, the strongest connection is, is when you've created a place that people feel, that we, we are told at home. And that's, that's the most rewarding thing to really bring it all together is that customers become family. Well, thank you everyone, Jason, Nick, Elisa, and Charles. Well, that is today's show. This show was sponsored and brought to you by yours truly, Anthony Chen with Lighthouse Financial Network. Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., RAA, Member FINRA SIPC, RIA is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of RIA. The main office address is 575 Broad Hollow Road, Melville, New York, 11747. You can best reach me at 631-465-9090, extension 5075, or best through email, which is just my full name, Anthony Chen, C-H-E-N at lfnllc.com. Looking forward to you all lending your ears to our next episode at Family Business Radio. Thank you.